Welcome to the final episode of the Kiskeya Podcast. I'm Elton Smollett. And I'm Chris Agard. And thanks very much for tuning in to the concluding episode of our podcast. Today we are talking about the island of Puerto Rico. So Puerto Rico is the only former Spanish colony that never gained independence. And that's a central point of our discussion today. One question that we want to try and address is why Puerto Rico never gained independence and what separated it from other uh, neighboring islands in terms of its history under Spanish influence. We just did our Cuba episode. If you haven't heard it, tune in. It's the second episode of our podcast. And in that episode, we discuss um, the history of Cuba, which has a very parallel history with Puerto Rico up until the point of the Cuban Revolution, where Cuba gained independence and Puerto Rico remained part of the United States. So for this episode, we're going to first discuss the colonial context of Puerto Rico as a Spanish colony, and then how it entered the control of the United States and how it diverged from this parallel history with Cuba. And then we're going to discuss some current events in Puerto Rico, and in particular, the independence movement slash statehood movement and what lies in store for Puerto Rico in the future. So first, I'll just give kind of an overview of the history of colonialism in Puerto Rico. It is quite similar to the history of other Caribbean islands that we've discussed throughout this podcast, including Cuba and Hispaniola. It was first colonized in 1493 when the Spanish arrived there and was also inhabited by the Taino people who were then killed by the Spanish during the colonial conquest. Yeah, so um, kind of throughout the history of Puerto Rico, really since colonization, like when Columbus first uh, arrived on the island, there have been various movements and rebellions for independence from colonial powers, namely Spain, and then later in history, the United States. And we can see kind of this history of um, resistance, first from indigenous people on the island. So for example, in 1511, there was a Taino rebellion, which was a, a violent rebellion that led to about 80 deaths of Spanish colonists. And it was also the site of the forced relocation of enslaved people from Africa to enrich the Spanish crown through agriculture. And Puerto Rico played a strategic role also for the Spanish being located in the Caribbean and remained a Spanish territory, even though it was disputed by other colonial powers until the Spanish-American War in 1898, which we discussed in the last episode. And up until the beginning of the 20th century or the end of the 19th century, it had a very parallel history with Cuba and Hispaniola. And Cuba in particular, Puerto Rico has a strong connection to. We discussed in the last episode about Cuba and the Cuban Revolution, not only the the 
communist revolution, but also the, the wars of independence of the 19th century led by Jose Marti. And one point that Yvonne, who we interviewed in the last episode, made was that Cuba and Puerto Rico have had a long history of friendship between them. And Jose Marti, during the wars of independence, not only wanted to free Cuba from colonial oppression, but also wanted to free Puerto Rico in particular and the rest of the former Spanish colonies. And while I was in Cuba, people would always say that Cubans and Puerto Ricans had a very strong connection or a strong friendship between them. And furthermore, their strong cultural similarities as well. Uh, It's, often remarked that the Cuban accent is most similar to the Puerto Rican accent as well, which is another similar note. And even the flags of Cuba and Puerto Rico are quite parallel. They're identical, except the colors are inverted, where the blue on the Cuban flag becomes red on the Puerto Rican flag and vice versa. And interestingly, this is a result of their flags being based on the flag of the United States as well. Um, The Puerto Rican independence movement actually has a preferred flag uh, that they use in, in lieu of the, the current flag, which is modeled after, after the flag of the United States. But despite this very similar history and this connection between Cuba and Puerto Rico in particular, their histories did diverge at the end of the 19th century when the Spanish-American War led to the transfer of those territories, among others, from uh, Spain to the United States. While the Cuban Wars of Independence were occurring during the 1860s up until the 1890s, there were also independence movements occurring in Puerto Rico. However, they were brutally suppressed by the Spanish. And for instance, during the early 1960s, according to one of our sources for this episode, which is from the Library of Congress, um, some research by Marisabel Bras, um, titled The Changing of the Guard, Puerto Rico in 1898. Uh, Dr. Brass writes that during the 1960s, while these independence movements were arising, they alarmed the local Spanish authorities who then applied severe measures to suppress them. So freedom of the press was non-existent. And furthermore, the Spanish imposed what are known as leyes especiales, which translates to special laws or extraordinary decrees, which were dictated by the generals of the island who were appointed by Spain. And essentially the independence movements were faced to strong opposition from the Spanish and many supporters of independence or people who called for liberal reforms were jailed or exiled during that period. Furthermore, Puerto Rico was suffering a severe economic crisis because of tariffs and taxes that the Spanish imposed on uh, imports and exports from the island. Uh, this, this is because the Spanish crown badly needed the funds from those tariffs to subsidize their troops 
one of the most important armed rebellions in this era of Puerto Rican history was the Grito de Lares, which broke out in 1868. And this was a rebellion that was led by Dr. Ramon Emeterio Betances. And in 1868, he founded the Revolutionary Committee of Puerto Rico. So Betances authored several statements that were known as proclamas or proclamations, which attacked the and criticized the exploitation of Puerto Ricans during the Spanish colonial period. And he essentially called for an immediate rebellion. And these statements circulated rapidly throughout Puerto Rico and various cells were organized throughout Puerto Rican society, which brought together landowners, merchants, professionals, peasants, even slaves. And most of them, most of the people involved were criollos, which refers to people that were born on the island. Nonetheless, the Spanish discovered these plans for the rebellion and surprised the group with strong resistance. They rounded up the rebels and essentially brought that insurrection to an end. A few months later, a Spanish military court imposed the death penalty for treason and sedition on all of the people who were captured during this effort. That being said, the incoming governor actually gave amnesty to those prisoners in an effort to appease the tense atmosphere on, on the island at the time. In the following years, there were some liberal reforms, but the local Spanish authorities also kept a very strong grip on the island, and they remained very threatened by plots or rumors of, of rebellion. They continuously tried to prevent these rebellions by focusing on censorship of the press and suppression of freedom of speech. One interesting period of Puerto Rican history that followed was in 1873, when the Spanish constitutional monarchy was actually replaced by a Republican government. And so this created what was known as the Spanish Republic, which had kind of an autonomous status. This Spanish Republic also approved the abolition of slavery on the island in 1873, which is quite late compared to many other places in the Americas. Nonetheless, this law didn't really provide immediate and total freedom for the Black population of the island. There were efforts that followed for further liberal reforms, but these were interrupted in 1874 when this Republican government fell due to a military coup and the island was returned to the control of the Spanish monarchy. So Puerto Ricans were finally granted self-government in 1897 when the Carta Autonomica, which was kind of a form of constitutional autonomy, was approved by the Spanish. However, the first elections didn't occur until March of 1898, and tensions were already building between Spain and the U.S., which would lead up to the Spanish-American War. And the result of the Spanish-American War and the Treaty of Paris that concluded it was the transfer of Puerto Rico to the United States from Spain. So from the United States' point of view, in terms of their foreign policy, Puerto Rico played a strategic role in terms of the United States aiming to expand its naval presence in the region and becoming a dominant regional power. 
And this is one point where the histories of Cuba and Puerto Rico starts to diverge because even though both Cuba and Puerto Rico were transferred from Spain to the United States, Cuba was actually deemed a protectorate, whereas Puerto Rico became the territory of the United States, along with a few other territories. After that point, Puerto Rico was under the direct control of U.S. military forces until April 12th of 1900, which was when the U.S. Congress ratified the Foraker Law. And this brought a civilian government to Puerto Rico, but it still did not gain its independence and still hasn't to this day. So another important turning point for the history of Puerto Rico was in 1917, and this was when the Jones-Shafroth Act was passed by Congress, which was the act that granted U.S. citizenship to all Puerto Ricans. And it also made Puerto Rican males eligible for the military draft. And some 18,000 Puerto Ricans were actually drafted into World War I following this. So then throughout the 20th century, a very significant portion of the Puerto Rican population actually migrated to the mainland United States. This was known as La Gran Migración, or the Great Migration. And it was actually up to 25% of the island's total population, uh, which moved during this exodus to to the continental United States. And so today, there's more than 5 million people of Puerto Rican descent living in communities across, most notably, uh, New York City. And obviously, today, there's still an independence slash statehood movement in Puerto Rico. And I think this is a good turning point to move over to that topic of current events in Puerto Rico. So... Yeah, along the themes of the ideas of independence from the United States, more specifically, um, in the past decade, there have been two referendums in Puerto Rico. The first one was in 2012. It was a two-part vote in which 5.5% voted for independence, but the results were somewhat ambiguous because of the way the questions were structured. So it's kind of unclear as to um, what the actual general like public sentiment was from this referendum. And then also supporters of the Commonwealth status of those who wanted to maintain the status quo of just remaining a colony of the United States abstained from voting. Um, so that also like, greatly skewed the actual results in terms of whether people would vote for statehood, independence, or the continuing order of things. The results were that 809,000 voted for statehood, 72,000 voted for independence, and 441,000 voted for sovereign free association, which is the con- the continuing of the quote-unquote commonwealth. But, I mean, there was less than a million people in each of the voting uh, categories, and the population of Puerto Rico is much larger than that, so you only got like a small sample of the actual population. So it was difficult to gauge whether or not 
the or what the actual public sentiment was. This issue um, similarly arose in the 2017 status referendum, um, in which um, th there were similar results in this, um, or even more skewed results, I should say rather. 97.13% of all those who voted voted for statehood, while less than 2% voted for each of the other, um, whether it was independence or um, current territorial status. However, the turnout in this referendum was only 22.93% of the entire population. Um, so you can't really get an accurate idea of that, especially because the low turnout is consequence of a boycott led by the um, Popular Democratic Party, which is the party in Puerto Rico that supports the status quo. And it is also one of the largest political parties in the country. So just by virtue of that um, fact, the results are um, inaccurate and difficult to kind of gauge the general public sentiments. Besides these two referendums, there have been three other referendums which have also um, drawn similar results and um, ambiguous results. So could you also just give us a breakdown of the current political parties in Puerto Rico? Currently in Puerto Rico, there are numerous political parties, each representing different interests, mostly regarding kind of the issue of Puerto Rico status as a political body. So one of the largest parties is the Partido Nuevo Progresista. You want to help me out with that, Elton? Yeah, you pretty much said it. Like, you said it was Partido Nuevo Progresista. Yes, exactly. Thank you. Which is also in, in English, the New Progressive Party, which was founded in 1967, which was also the year of the first referendum in the country. And the party has advocated for Puerto Rico's statehood specifically. It's one of the two major parties on the island with significant strength. And the party has traditionally been oriented as a conservative right-wing party, um, and it's maintained popularity amongst older supporters and older voters in the on the island. The kind of second major party in the country is the Partido Popular Democratico, the Popular Democratic Party, which is also one of the longer-standing ones, parties on the island. It's more of a centrist party on the political spectrum, and it has maintained the position, it's maintained the position of remaining a self-governing -govern commonwealth of the United States, rather than advocating for independence or statehood. The first elected governor of Puerto Rico was a member of this party, and the party played a large role in the drafting of um, the commonwealth's um, constitution. The kind of third largest party, which is not as large as kind of the two major ones, but still um, an important party to consider, is the Puerto Rican Independence Party, which has existed since 1946 and has advocated for the independence of Puerto Rico from the United States. Um, it is kind of the continuation of a 
long history of independence movements on the island, but amongst voters, it hasn't been incredibly popular. Its political orientation is center-left, and the party has contributed to a great deal of um, activism on the island. So there's a great deal of kind of controversy surrounding Puerto Rico's status currently, and it's really difficult to kind of gauge what is the popular sentiment based on kind of elections, based on kind of electoral results in on the island. Based on electoral results on the island, there's no kind of clear-cut, overwhelming support for one direction of three possible or main directions the island can go in. Currently, it is defined as a commonwealth of the United States, but there is a bit of controversy concerning the labeling as a commonwealth over a colony. The idea of a commonwealth implies a certain level of autonomy that the island does not really have, as it is entirely reliant on the United States. There's the presence of the United States military. It has the United States Congress has judicial control and the economic and financial institutions of the country are bound to the United States as well. Puerto Rican residents, Puerto Rican citizens are citizens of the United States um, and don't really have any sort of independence from uh, or autonomy from the United States in that regard, either involving the idea of um, national identification or citizenship. However, Puerto Ricans uh, famously do not have any, they do not have, they're not included in the United States elections, federal elections, um, and cannot vote for president and are not represented in the United States Congress. So these complications kind of very clearly show why there's so much divisiveness on the island. So while it's difficult to see or understand what exactly the future holds for Puerto Rico, it's very clear that the legacy of colonization, both from Spain and the United States, um, continues to impact the political atmosphere and environment currently, and continues to inform attitudes towards statehood independence and the continuing territorial status of the island. With all that said, thank you for listening to Kiskeo. Yeah, thanks very much for listening. I feel like we learned a lot from this experience and hopefully dispersed some of that knowledge to our listeners as well. And thanks also to the Keck Center for making this possible and to Terrell for guiding us through the process. And hopefully we'll have the opportunity to do something like this again in the future. I'm Elton Smollett. Sagar, thank you very much. Storybox Audio.